In today's podcast, a return to Beginner's Corner, where I explain Medicare Part B in full. Let's go. Welcome to the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. I'm your host, J.O. I'm the author of Maximize Your Medicare, Qualify for Benefits, Protect Your Health, and Minimize Your Costs. You can get it on Amazon, anywhere else you can buy a book. Not going to be a problem. Today, we return to Beginner's Corner, where I describe Medicare Part B. There are a number of subtle points that many people don't understand in an enrollment. This is the first step to getting properly set up for Medicare for you and your household. Now it's becoming more important and more complicated due to the very fact that people are working beyond 65 and the fact that full retirement age is now going to be above 65 for Social Security purposes permanently. In other words, I don't think that this is going to change anytime soon, meaning that the complications to enrollment are the beginning. From there, There are additional facts like what exactly Medicare covers. We start here on Part B. Hope you enjoy. Okay, let's just get started right away here on Part B. Part B of a Medicare card, the federal red, white, and blue card, I probably wouldn't have called it medical. I would have called it services. The bottom line here is that Services are anything that are is not inpatient hospitalization, is not skilled nursing facility care. And don't get me wrong, home health care under after inpatient is a part A. Home health care that is not like that is under part B. Okay. And then in addition to that, hospice is not part of part B. That is part of part A everything else under part B. This also includes medications that you get, for example, infusion services, medications administered in an outpatient healthcare service location is under part B, okay, not part D. Complicated stuff. That all said, that's how I would try to understand part B. I'm not going to name every single service. Crazy people have written books about it for eight years, okay? The, let's take a look at the card here. John Smith, a generic card, John Smith, born or coverage date reads March 1, 2016. So what do we know about John Smith? In most cases, John Smith was born in the month of March of 1951 during the month of 1951, March of 1951. The important thing to note is it doesn't matter if he was born on March 2nd. It doesn't matter if he was born on March 31st. The coverage date begins on the 1st. That's a point that some people miss. What else can we say about John Smith? John Smith may have been born on April 1st, 1951. If you're born on the first of the month, you are actually eligible. Your coverage date begins the month prior 
quickest example, New Year's Day, baby. Your coverage date is December 1, not January 1. Now you'll never forget. Okay. There are a couple of other situations when John Smith could have been eligible for Medicare prior to the age of 65. What are they? The largest group of you are those who have received 24 months of Social Security Disability Insurance Benefits, SSDI. Go to the video on the YouTube channel. I've got a special standalone video called Disability and Medicare. The second group of you is that you could have had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. The third is you could have ESRD, end-stage renal disease requiring dialysis. Okay. Under ESRD, there is a waiting period until you will become effective for Medicare Part A and Part B. By far, the number one question I get from clients everywhere in the country is, can I delay? Can I delay? And the answer is yes or no, depending on your situation. Let's go through the yeses first. If you are the full-time employee and you're covered by health insurance at a large employer, which is defined as 20 full-time employees, the answer is yes. If you're the spouse of a full-time employee covered by health insurance at a large employer, the answer is yes. If you work at a small employer, now it gets a little trickier because certainly the carriers, let's say you work at a small employer and you're covered by your small employer insurance, the carriers are telling you yes, okay? But what I'm gonna ask you at that point, and it's subtle, it's very subtle, is you can ask yourself why, why? Because the reality is in most cases, in the overwhelming number of cases, if you work at a small employer, it's not a great idea to be on the small employer health insurance and Medicare Part B. It's in most instances, I didn't say every, in most instances, it doesn't make sense. I promise you within five miles of where you're listening or watching, someone is making this error, losing thousands of dollars a year per employee. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. The reason is I uncover this every single year, just like clockwork, just like clockwork. Someone stays on their small employer health insurance plan without thinking through it, without flipping over the rocks, thousands of dollars of inefficiency get lost. No, well, they don't get lost. They get paid to the small employer health insurance carrier. Hmm. That's why I called it the nasty secret. Fourth, <clears throat> you can actually delay if you're on COBRA, but for eight months only. Medicare Part B doesn't have a late enrollment penalty until you, um, until you don't have health insurance for eight months. Okay, so while Medicare and you tell you 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 that that Cobra doesn't work, 
there's the notable exception there, which is that it doesn't work after eight months. It does work during that eight months without penalty. The vast majority of people cannot delay. Who are you? In particular, if you are the Medicare eligible spouse of a retired employee, you cannot delay. Secondly, if you're on COBRA for a period longer than eight months, you are gonna be subject to the Part B late enrollment penalty. And the basic reason is that COBRA doesn't count as health insurance for Medicare purposes for Part B. Now, crazily enough, the standalone pres the prescription benefits inside of a COBRA plan in the overwhelming majority does count as credible coverage. Do not ask me why that is the case. Okay, but for Part B purposes, you can have an eight-month gap of no health insurance. You can. And COBRA, even though it doesn't qualify as health insurance, you can have it in there and still be for yourself be covered. Meaning at the end of that eight months, you could have enrolled in Part B without penalty. After the eight months is over, however, then all bets are off. You would then be subject to the Part B late enrollment penalty, one that never expires. 10% per 12-month period that you did not have Part B coverage. Does that sound very complicated? Yes, it is. It is very complicated. Because especially what ends up happening is people are working beyond the age of 65. We're not going away from that. That is not the world today, which we had even five years ago. Full retirement age of Social Security has increased. Financial reality has changed. People's attitudes towards working for longer have changed. We're going to have more people working beyond the age of 65. What that has introduced are these complications. And this question, number one question of Part B, can I delay? In addition to missing the rules and then getting penalties is Whenever I see these cases, whenever people have approached me, here's the situation, which is that some something gets missed and it's very, very costly, very costly. Let's take a look back at the yes. At the back at the yes here, you can see this. There can be situations where you accept COBRA for some months and then switch to Part B later. Take a look at that list. You're, you're trying to cover family members and the family coverage would be too expensive. Hello, Florida. Irma, you're trying to keep away from Irma because Irma may introduce a health insurance premium for Part B, which is 500 plus a month. You've already reached the out-of-pocket maximum under COBRA. You have a very serious, someone in your household has a very serious health issue. Maybe COBRA doesn't cost you anything because your employer pays. It goes on and on. So the idea that people just say, okay, COBRA doesn't count. 
and then they throw it away. The number of exceptions here is so large and it's getting larger. And the results of it is that by not examining it, it's very expensive by not examining it. Let's stop there here on the question of can I delay? Under part B, it's a different setup than part A, meaning that this is one that people will be very familiar with. There's a monthly premium. There's a monthly premium. There's the table adjusted in premiums there on your screen now. For most persons, this is $144.60 for the remainder of 2020. We do not yet know what the premiums will be for 2021. It gets reset annually. Irresponsible projections to say, well, the premium is going to go up by 40% due to, you know, all the debt we've taken on. Let's calm down. Let's calm down. That's hy hysteria. That's hysteria. There are laws to put limits on the amount that it can be raised. Anyway. The monthly premium comma unchanged means basically that is what a, that is a structure that you're used to. You owe a monthly premium. If you do not accept Social Security, you can pay directly on a quarterly or monthly basis. That is possible. You can have it directly de deducted from your Social Security benefits. No question. Many people know this. Part B, you can pay with Social Security benefits. If you don't receive Social Security benefits, you can pay by credit, by transfer or by check. Importantly, by the way, if you itemize, you can take your money from your HSA account if you have a balance. Okay. You have an annual deductible of $188 a year. So unlike part A, which is by benefit period, this is an annual and it's reset annually by the CMS, which is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services that governs Medicare. It's important to note here a couple of things, not here on the slide intentionally, which is the CMS is keeping track of whether or not you've satisfied the part B deductible in a year. Okay, so if you're on original Medicare, Part A, Part B, and Medigap, for example, or Part A and Part B alone, then the CMS is keeping track of whether or not you've met the deductible. If you're on Medicare Advantage, the Medicare Advantage carrier is the one who is administering everything. There's a difference. Now, the subtle points here are the following is that you need to understand that the CMS has outsourced the accounting. And that is code for there can be errors. The errors are not necessarily the case. They're, they're not necessarily the cause of governmental red tape. There are other sources that can create this. And one of them is that the healthcare providers may have delayed or not efficiently processed your claim. Now, 
This is super important because the stuff you could possibly buy on top, Medicare Advantage, Medicare Supplement, or Medigap, for example, right? They entirely depend on whether or not you've satisfied the deductible. So Medicare Advantage, those groups, if you've not, if your doctor, if your doctor or the lab has not sent in the claims, the carrier doesn't know. So as a result, can you get a bill multiple times when you thought you've satisfied whatever deductible, whether that's the Part B deductible of 198 or the healthcare dedu health deductible under your Medicare Advantage plan, that can occur. There can be this error, be but that's the source. Okay. And I've you can see this. You can easily see it. Someone with serious health matters. They go to the doctor number one on January 1st. They go to doctor number two on January 6th. The chance that by January 6th that the CMS has understood that you have met the $198 deductible by the time you go to the office, the doctor's office on January 6th, pretty low, right? So as a result, the doctor on January 6th doesn't know this. You, they call the CMS. You've not satisfied the deductible. They send you a bill. This can last for months if not longer, in the worst case. I hope this doesn't happen to you. But I just want to point out to you that it is not the carrier, Medigap carrier in this instance, right? Medi the Medigap carrier can only react if the CMS accounting tells them that you've satisfied 198, not before then, right? Because basically Medigap for newcomers, Medigap will cover the, the rest, all of it, okay, especially in Plan G and Plan N besides the excess charge. So there are some subtle differences, but they will cover the 20%. That is no problem, but only after you've satisfied 198. And the only way that the carriers can know is they ask the CMS. Now, I swerved a few minutes out of there because I can't stress this enough because you can understand. Sometimes my life is fairly unpleasant, right? I mean, it's like, Jay, I thought you said that the Medigap carrier was going to pay. And then they say, okay, well, you've, you know, suggested this carrier or plan that doesn't work. That That is not the case. This is not the contract not working. This is the fact that they're relying on a piece of data and that data is flawed, has an error in it from the CMS, and I can't resolve the source. I can't tell you it's always this reason or it's always that reason. I can tell you, though, that there can be multiple sources of error here. You can see other videos that I've put out. For example, in that instance, Plan F does solve this. Does. You can check out the video on that topic alone. Once you've satisfied 198, whew, right? <laughs> Once you've satisfied 198, then it's a structure you many people know. Medicare pays 80, you pay 20%. That's it. Okay. Now we need to be careful on two extra points. Number one, 
Medicare pays 80% of an approved amount. And by approved amount, what I mean here is there's like a list, an MSRP, a list of services and prices. Medicare will pay for 80% of that. However, can the doctor or the lab charge more than the approved amount? The answer is yes, they can. They can. I've got another video about the excess charge comparing plan G to plan N. Go and check it out. It's too long. It's too, too complicated for today because I'm here to talk about part B. But the point is, is that Medicare will pay for 80% of the approved amount. Please know that Part B providers can charge more than that, and you are responsible for all of it. Simple example, let's say the MSRP is $10,000, and the doctor charges $11,500. Is this legal? Yes. You are... Medicare will pay 80% of 10,000, not of 11,500. That leaves you responsible for 20% of 10,000, 2,000, plus the entire overage of 11.5,000 minus 10, which is 1.5,000. So your bill under original Medicare would be 3,500. That's the way to think through this. So sometimes people get confused. They think that, okay, Medicare pays for 80% of the 11,500. That is not the case. It's of the 10,000 based off the MSRP or the approved amount. Now, the kicker here, which I've not even put on this slide, right, is here that you need to be careful because in addition to the fine print here of Part B is the fact that Part B, like Part A, there's no annual out-of-pocket maximum. And here is the financial risk of the red, white, and blue card. This is the financial risk of this card. It is a very good chassis to a card. There's no such thing as insurance, health insurance for $144.60, not at 65 years old. There would be wildly incompetent health insurance. However, the fact is there's no annual out-of-pocket maximum. In other words, your potential financial downside is theoretically unlimited. I'm not hoping that for you, of course. My point is, if you continue to have a, if you have a bad health year and you sit only with part B and part A, then you can have 20% times a trillion dollars, right? It's still $20 billion. That's my point. You'd be on the hook by for part under part B if you are on part B alone for the entire amount without limit. That's something which is fundamentally different from Medicare and the way that health insurance worked either in the private market, small group market, or 
if you were employed at a large employer. That's it for today. Hopefully you've gotten some things from this video, you know, which don't sit here in my book or with my same amount of emphasis. And I do try to make these points. I'm not going to kid you that just thinking through the enrollment part of part B, and I get this comment after I continue from my clients, which is my clients, I go back and forth with my, my clients. Have you, have we thought through these issues, issue one, issue two, we get through five, six issues and people are shaking their head. I never knew that there are this many variables to consider when deciding on when the best time is to enroll. Because most of the time, people are focused on their one person. We've got families, you've got employment, you've got unemployment, you've got other moving parts. And only when you think of the moving parts together can you come up with the efficient solution. Hope you enjoyed today's video. Thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe, please. Leave your comments, ask your questions. I'll try to respond as soon as I can. Thanks. That's it for today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you digest your podcasts so that other people can learn about the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Speak with you next time.